Hello. Hello. Hello, and welcome to Grace Online. We're really excited for you to be able to receive an encouraging word from Scripture today. Because we know that God is already here, and He is ready to be with you. And let's get ready to hear today's message. This summer, we've just begun a new sermon series looking at the at some representative selections from the book of Psalms. The book of Psalms is a rich and diverse collection of the prayers and songs of our spiritual ancestors in the faith. Now, based on how the Psalms are quoted and used in worship and as the inspiration for Christian music, many people assume that this is a compilation of bright, sunny, upbeat tracks, you know, praise song after praise song being lifted up to the Lord. But for those who take a closer look and a more careful read, we discover while there are indeed many expressions of joyous thanksgiving, unabashed praise within this book, the largest category within this collection, in fact, are what are known as the Psalms of Lament. About a third of the songs and prayers in the book of Psalms express deep sorrow, hurt-filled protests, questions born of frustration and unfiltered anger, all directed toward heaven, all expressed before the face of God. Now, interestingly and surprisingly, these laments, what are often called the neglected psalms, haven't gotten a lot of airtime in the life of the church. We hardly, if ever, sing these songs as a part of our regular worship. Pastors rarely preach and teach on the psalms of lament, and so lots of people are shocked to realize prayers and songs like these actually are in the Bible, are a part of the Word of God. In fact, I've noticed myself that when I've interacted among Christians, when they do become aware of these psalms of lament, many Christians still tend to be uncomfortable with them, right? You know, they're uncomfortable. They hear these raw, earthly, from-the-gut prayers, and it cuts against the grain of what they've been taught and told about a life of faith in God, what it's supposed to be, what it's supposed to be like. We perceive what we find expressed in these songs, all the doubts and the questions, let alone the seeming cynicism and negativity, to reflect the exact opposite of belief, the exact opposite of faith. And so when we come across one of these lament psalms, in our shock, sometimes even our embarrassment, we politely flip the page to the next one until we find a psalm that sounds a bit more cheery and positive. But maybe songs and prayers like these, these psalms of lament that frequently appear in the book of Psalms, maybe they're there for a reason. In a world where pain, suffering, and loss are consistent and inevitable experiences, and certainly this last year and a half has only made that clearer for us, maybe God doesn't want us to ignore these psalms. Maybe we need them somehow. Let's explore this possibility, what psalms like these have to offer us as we read and reflect together on Psalm 13, a lament psalm written by David in the midst of his own troubles, in the midst of his own questions, his own doubts about God. Here it is, Psalm 13. Good morning. Today I'll be reading scripture from Psalm 13. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death and my enemy will say I have overcome him. 
and my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. David is at the end of his rope when he writes this prayer. Overwhelmed by a prolonged season of adversity and affliction in his life, David exudes a mixture of emotions, dejection, frustration, anger. David's opening salvo in this prayer is a volley of accusations and protests all directed towards God. The first two verses are so raw We can picture David on his knees, hot tears streaming down his face, even as he is violently pointing his finger up to heaven, calling out the Lord, challenging the very character of God. Now, it's not clear the specific circumstances, whatever they were in David's life at this moment, but most scholars believe he wrote this prayer during all the years before he was king of Israel, when he was on the run, being constantly threatened and persecuted by King Saul in 1 Samuel, that book we just previously studied. Well, whatever the particular situation, David is demanding answers to his questions against the backdrop of a clear and present danger. The threat before David is twofold. There's the immediate physical danger of losing his life. And notice, if you read carefully, the contrast between David's self-proclaimed singular enemy, death, and his foes who are persecuting him. David perceives death to be coming for him, which in turn will lead to his foes rejoicing when David inevitably loses his life. But listen carefully, as the threat, the coming defeat that David sees before him is not just physical, it is also spiritual. As his foes continue to succeed in tormenting him, as the shadow of death increasingly looms over him, David ultimately finds himself spiritually lost. Based on his immediate circumstances, it looks to David like God has abandoned him. And perceiving the Lord's absence rather than the Lord's presence, David acutely feels the lifelessness that results. In this anguish, David accuses God of being distant and disinterested of the Lord not coming through on his end of the deal, his covenant promises of being there and having David's back. The stakes are high in this psalm, in this prayer. Not just his life, but David's very faith is on the line. Being hard-pressed on every side, David is beginning to lose hope. Doubt is overtaking him. But David does not remain silent in his suffering. He instead laments to God. To lament is to openly express our grief or sorrow, not matter-of-factly or clinically, but to express it passionately, unreservedly. To lament is to let it all out. It's a passionate expression of our grief or sorrow. To lament is to protest. It's to complain. It's to push back against the reality of sadness, suffering, and brokenness in our lives and in our world. Biblically, the focus then of our lament, the one to whom we are to direct our protest and our complaint, is none other than the creator and sustainer of all life, the Lord God Almighty. Now, this is where the rubber meets the road, because as I mentioned earlier, the idea, let alone the practice of lament, can sound foreign and very uncomfortable to many Christians today, because it can seem like, if we're complaining and calling out God, that it's a lack of faith and trust in God. Many of us have been taught that doubting the Lord, questioning God, complaining to the Almighty is wrong, sinful, and liable to get us struck with lightning or something worse. 
being raised with this Western mindset where crying is for babies and complaining is for naysayers and doubting is for the weak, we've imposed a cultural image upon God as being a stern, no-nonsense, stoic deity who's got no time or tolerance for all our emotions and our questions. I mean, who are we? Just who do we think we are to question and complain against the hand that feeds us? We should be happy with whatever we've got. That's what we're often told and taught. We ought to accept the world the way it is. We need to stop being so needy and pull ourselves together. Nobody, by the way, likes a sad Christian, right? People aren't going to believe and follow Jesus if we're moping around all the time. Have you ever been exposed to this kind of teaching, to this kind of idea? We've fashioned a culture within the church where we have no room or practice for grieving or lament unless there's a funeral, and, and unless there's some national or global tragedy that we cannot avoid facing together. But apart from those two examples, we've crafted a communal expectation within the church that whenever we gather for worship or fellowship, we're supposed to be happy. We're supposed to feel blessed. Complaining and frustration are frowned upon. This is the house of the Lord, people. Tears of joy are fine, but a sorrowful crying can make a fuss. And if you're questioning God, you best keep that to yourself, or you're going to get, if you don't keep that questioning to yourself, if you come to church, you're going to get a heap of quick and easy Christian platitudes. Want to try some on? God won't give you more than you can bear. If you bring it to it, God to it, God brings you to it, he can lead you through it. Let go and let God. When God closes one door, another one opens. Everything happens for a reason. You just need to accept God's will, and on and so forth. I could go on a separate sermon series taking each of these down. But the truth is, it's not God who can't handle our grieving, our sadness, our frustration, our doubts, and our questions. It's not God that can't handle all that. It's we who aren't comfortable with it. It's we who aren't good at dealing with it because we don't allow any space for lament in our lives, in our walk of faith with Jesus. Somewhere along the way, Somewhere along the way, we've bought and sold a version of the gospel that presents the Christian life as one victory after another, as blessing upon blessing, as mountaintop after mountaintop, without any valleys along the way. We've turned believing the good news of God's forgiveness. We've turned believing in the good news of God's grace, the assurance of life beyond death in Christ. We've turned it into a message of instant gratification, your best life now. And yet Jesus himself said, in this world, we will have trouble. Again and again, Jesus presents following him as the way and the truth to a full, abundant and everlasting life. Yes, amen. But one that entails counting the cost of change, being willing to die to oneself in order to be transformed and daring to sacrificially serve others rather than to escape from this world. Beloved, hear this. The good news of Jesus Christ doesn't mean we have to put on plastic smiles and act like everything is okay all the time. Believing in the gospel doesn't require us to wipe away each other's tears before anyone has had a chance to actually weep, to have a good cry. When we jump so quickly to Jesus as the answer to all our problems superficially and therefore everything's going to be fine and awesome, we misrepresent how the Bible not only allows us,
but encourages us, sometimes even commands us to sit and honestly acknowledge those places of hurt and woundedness. Following Jesus isn't living in denial or always having to come up with a pat answer when life hurts. Following Jesus is being like Jesus and entering into and validating the tension, the suffering of our broken lives in this fractured world. Following Jesus includes lament, voicing the sorrow, articulating the frustration, venting the anger, raising the questions, and confessing the doubts of our pain and our grief. Psalms like these of lament ensure us that the word of God engages not just life as it can be, as it will be one day, but that the word of God actually responds to life as it is, here and now for us. For the Bible, when we actually read it, is not the story of the best and brightest. It's not the story of perfect people who are wildly and repeatedly successful in life. No, what we find when we enter into the story of the Bible are flawed, broken, and struggling people like us. People to whom God gives voice to their hurting, their oppression, their doubts, and their fears. We cannot read the Bible without encountering words of lament on almost every page. Because prayers and songs of lament are not the attack of the faithless. Words of lament are not the antagonistic and defiant taunts that are launched from the cheap seats. You know, these are not, laments are not taking pot shots at the very idea of God's existence long before tragedy strikes. No, words of lament are uttered in the thick of the valley, looking up to heaven, shouting before the face of God in earnestness. Songs of lament are expressions of the faithful because you don't talk to a person. You don't talk to a person you don't believe exists. Prayers of lament are those of an active, engaged faith, not a passive, resigned faith. Because lament, you don't cry out to someone for help. You don't cry out to someone for help unless you believe the person you're crying out to is the one who can and should and has the power to act. We need to adopt the practice of lament because doing so makes us whole, authentic persons rather than fragmented, disoriented, and superficial human beings. Avoiding our need to lament leads us to deny, to hide, or try to kill in some other way the pain that we bear and the frustrations we carry. Take a moment, ask yourself, how do we process our ongoing pain and frustration? The pain and frustration of living in a broken world, the pain and frustration of dealing with imperfect people, the pain and frustration of recognizing that we ourselves are works in progress, and the pain and frustration of realizing at the same time we're not getting any younger. How do we respond to all that pain and frustration? Do we try to numb ourselves with mindless distractions, intoxicating ourselves with various forms of entertainment, maybe even to the point of finding ourselves becoming dependent and addicted to whatever those outlets might be? Or do we try to stuff it all down? Are you a stuffer? Or do we try to stuff it all down and pretend it's not there? All the while conveniently ignoring how all that pain and frustration still manages to leak out in small and sometimes large bursts, lashing out against others, or even beating up ourselves. How do you process all that pain and frustration that you carry, that we carry together? When we refuse to grieve and lament, as we toughen up, pull ourselves together, have a stiff upper lip, as we try to go it alone, we're refusing to admit that we need God in all things. When we stifle our emotions in a sea of fabricated pretense, 
we close ourselves off from our Heavenly Father's willingness to meet us in our pain, to meet us in our frustrations, to meet us in our questions, to meet us even in our doubts. Beloved, God is not offended by our honest questions. God is not even offended by our heated complaints. The practice of lament confirms our desire for relationship with the Lord. The practice of lament confirms that our faith is in that life is not the way it's supposed to be, that things need to change. But our refusal to lament isn't merely biting off our nose to spite our face. It's not just about us. In choosing not to lament, we aren't just hurting ourselves. We're contributing to the hurt of others when we don't lament. Wait a second, what? Huh? What does my lamenting or not lamenting have to do with anybody else? Because when we refuse to grieve and lament, to sit with God in our own pain and frustration, the inevitable consequence is that we'll end up having no sympathy, no empathy, no compassion to give others. When all we do is win, 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 and refuse to admit when we lose, when we hurt, when we refuse to admit that we reach the end of ourselves, then we tend to view our brothers and sisters as competitors, as rivals in our attempted avoidance of pain, better them than me. Or we cast our brothers and sisters as scapegoats for our sufferings. We wouldn't have lost. We wouldn't be hurting if it wasn't for them. The practice of lament enables us to recognize not our competition, but our solidarity with our brothers and sisters, and to stand with them, to embrace the people before us as hurting, frustrated, and questioning, and therefore just as much in need of God as we are. You know, maybe one of the reasons we as the church tend to be labeled these days as out of touch with the sufferings of this world, even the sufferings of members within our own church community, Maybe the reason for that is because all we ever want to hear, all we ever want to sing are the upbeat songs, the inspirational hymns, and the prayers of thanksgiving. And I love them too. They're great. But my friends, when a third of all the psalms are laments, and yet only about 5 to 10% of the songs and prayers lifted up in worship today deal with grief and loss, isn't that reflecting our need to create more space for lament? Maybe one of the reasons the people in our lives have no interest in hearing about Jesus from us is because more often than not, we approach those relationships ready to argue and insistent on proving we are right. But when we turn to the Gospels, we can't help but notice that Jesus gravitated the most not towards the people that believed they were right, not towards the people that were looking for a fight, Jesus gravitated towards those who were hurting and crying out in lament to God. And as we keep our eyes on Jesus, we see him, right? We see him engaging those who are struggling, not by arguing with them, not by critiquing them, or even giving them easy pat answers. Instead, we witness Jesus meeting the wounded and the questioning where they are, listening to them, and then loving them so well that they can't help but follow him. Beloved, isn't it possible, dare I say likely, that if we actually followed Jesus, if we were willing to lament with others, to enter into their pain without correction, without trying to fix it, but entered into their pain just being there, staying there, listening and serving them like Christ, isn't it possible the people in our lives might actually fall in love with Jesus? Lament is larger than feeling sorry for ourselves or our pain. True lament encompasses the hurt, 
the confusion, the anger and betrayal, the despair and injustice that is faced by others. It goes beyond our personal relationships to consider how all creation groans to be restored by God. And so we need to learn how to lament, not just for our own sake, but for the sake of others. Because the degree to which we are willing to enter into the hurt and loss of another person, that reveals the level of our commitment and love for them. If I'm not interested in your struggles, if I'm not interested in your pain, your questions, your longings, then I'm not really interested in you. But as we listen, to the laments of those around us. If we listen to them and enter into them, the Spirit will open our eyes to see and empower us to meet opportunities to love others as Jesus loves us. As we lament our own brokenness, our aching and our grief, our confusion and uncertainty, we just may find that the Lord will equip us through our own acute sense of loss and doubt to be more compassionate to be more able to come alongside someone else's pain, reflecting the healing presence and love of Jesus to them. As we dare not deny or avoid, but enter into the discomfort and afflictions of this broken world, we will become, by the grace of God, the hands and feet, the means of Christ's redemption for all creation. So this leaves us with the question of how to lament. We need to lament. How do we do it? What can we learn from David's example in this psalm? Well, to begin with, lament starts again by directing our ongoing sorrows and continued frustrations towards God. Biblically, lament is not simply about getting things off our chest. That's not enough. Lament is not about voicing complaints and questions that go nowhere into the wind. Biblically, lament is an act of worship. It's not holding back, but being transparent, raw before the Lord, vulnerable, offering up as a sacrifice all our brokenness, our grief, our outrage, our desperate longings. And, and understand, prayers of lament aren't necessarily pretty or co cohesive. These are not perfunctory, innocuous, formulaic prayers or invocations. Prayers and songs of lament are the cries born of wrestling with God from a place of frustration and yet also longing. Prayers of lament are the words of a father anguishing over his son who is sick. I believe, help my unbelief. They are the words of a sister grieving the loss of her brother. Lord, if you had been here, my brother Lazarus would not have died. Words of lament are the words of Sarah and Hannah, each agonizing over being unable to conceive and bear a child of their own. Words of lament are the words of Naomi, voicing her frustration at the loss, the sudden loss of her husband, and then the death of her sons. Words of lament are the words of the prophets like Jeremiah and Daniel, bemoaning the loss of their homeland. Words of lament are the words of the Apostle Paul, struggling with his continual thorn in the flesh. Words of lament are the words of Jesus himself, as he weepingly laments over the city of Jerusalem, as he questions God in the Garden of Gethsemane before his arrest and crucifixion. Beloved, instead of simply resigning ourselves stoically to what is happening to and around us, saying, well, I just need to accept this as God's will, lament honestly confesses disappointments, even annoyances with the Lord. Lament boldly dares to question God's perceived absence, even challenging the Lord to reveal his presence. Lament is airing it out, all of it out before God, acknowledging our fears and admitting out loud what we don't know, what we can't do, 
what only the Lord knows, what only the Lord can do. But lament does not wallow in unanswered questions forever. Lament moves on from what we don't know to what we do know. We have unanswered questions for sure. We will until the end of time or Christ returns. But we take hope in the questions for which we do have answers. Pay close attention to the move that David makes in this supercharged prayer in verse 5. Take a look at it in your Bible. You'll notice by verse 5, David has finished venting. He's still speaking, though, to God. He's done processing with God. But David now in verse 5 puts himself in the Lord's hands. Notice, David has received no straight answer from the Lord in the midst of all his questions. God has not answered David. There's no indication in this prayer that God intervened in David's circumstances at this point. David still has, in this moment, a lot of unanswered questions. David, no doubt, is still aching inside and feeling apprehensive. David continues to confront uncertainty about what's going to happen next. But in letting out all of his anxiety, all of his irritation, and all of his doubts in the face of what is unknown, David finds the grace in verse 5 to embrace what he knows. Is there a God? Yes. Does God love me? Yes. Will God save me? Yes. Is the Lord good? Has God been good to me in the past so that I can know the Lord will be good to me now and in the future? Yes. David comes to trust that when God acts, whatever God does, all will be well. And what I want to suggest to you is David doesn't end up here at the end of verse 6 on his own. In other words, what I'm saying to you is David doesn't talk himself down. David doesn't talk himself into this changed state of mind, this transformation of his being. What I want to suggest to you, if you read this carefully, is that David, in praying to God, is changed by God. By directing his focus towards the Lord, three times David invokes the personal name of God, Yahweh, And each time, David can't help but grow closer to God. As the Lord willingly embraces, first, David's accusations. Notice how David's guard begins to come down. Notice how when David makes his next move in verses 3 through 4 to make his demands, he now speaks of Yahweh as my God. This small but subtle shift leads David next in verse 5 to completely put down his defenses, where he, instead of making accusations of demands about what he doesn't have, In verse 5, David finds himself able to sing, even boast, in the Lord's faithfulness. Having laid himself bare before the throne of God, David's focus has been turned away from his circumstances and toward who God is. The Lord's character and promises, or as David records it, God's unfailing love, God's assurance of salvation, and God's goodness that has been proven time and again. How do we lament? By not holding or hiding anything. Not by unloading on ourselves or on others, but by directing all our pain, all our frustration, all our questions, all our doubts toward God, and in so doing, letting the Lord minister to us. Letting the Lord receive all our burdens and baggage and giving us a renewed and deepened awareness of his presence and faithfulness. My friends, the Psalms of Lament remind us that the Christian life is lived in the midst of fears disappointments, and sorrows, not above or beyond them. Are we today angry at the world? Are you angry at the world? Are we today frustrated by someone in our lives? Are we today grieving something that has changed, 
something we've lost, something that no longer is? Are we today facing a growing threat, an overwhelming challenge, a crisis building before us that just the thought of it right now is breaking us apart? My friends, we all experience suffering and loss. We all get frustrated before the mystery of how God moves and works in our lives and in this world. We all have or will walk through moments or seasons in this life when we feel abandoned and isolated, when it seems like the hits just keep on coming and life hurts, when we face the pain of loss in terms of our health, our career, our relationships, maybe even our faith in the Lord. And when those times come, when we are brought down low and stripped down, you know, to our core, when it feels like we're staring some form of death in the face and it's like we have one foot in the grave, don't give up. Let us instead give in. Let us come before our Heavenly Father and without hesitation express all our heartache and longing, all our anger and disappointments, and know that the answer we're crying out for is not ever going to be found in the whys of this life, but only in the who of our lives. There are no easy answers. There are no quick fixes. But there are absolute and assured promises of redemption, of restoration, of reconciliation, all of them discovered not through our circumstances, but all of these rich, beautiful promises discovered in our ongoing relationship, coming to the Lord, coming to the God whose love is unfailing, to the God who will do literally anything to save us, to the God who reveals his goodness by getting us this far along and therefore ensuring us that he will come through, he will bring us through whatever we are facing here and now. Let us allow the Lord to meet us in our grief, in the dirt and dust of our lives, and remind us that this, in the dirt and the dust, is where the Lord does his best and most creative work. That state of being, which to us, dirt and dust, appears to be nothingness, is the starting point from which God first breathed life into being. That place, which to us appears to be the end, is where the Lord begins to roll back the stone and declare resurrection. Let us lament trusting in the outcome and enduring by the grace of God. Let us lament and find our voice in the Lord's promises rather than in our resignation. Let us lament and perceive the world not as a chaotic, meaningless mess, but in our lament to see that the world is certain, purposeful, mysterious, suspenseful, and yes, sometimes frustratingly so. But the story of the world is one in which the ending is not in question and it will be worth the wait. Let us lament and receive by God's grace a living hope that will never, ever be snuffed out, that one day will finally bloom and blossom for all eternity. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. If you'd like more information about our church, please visit us online at gracehb.org.